0: Hello, Lil Swipes, and welcome to the audio version of what has been hyperbolically called the internet's favorite newsletter, The Swipe Up. I'm drop Moon, and this is episode three. Welcome back, drop Lil Swipes. Look, I want to quickly say thank you so much to everyone who filled out the survey from last month that I put in the newsletter. It was really invaluable, and I learned so much about what you like and what you don't like. And uh, based on the feedback, just a few tweaks here and there. Um, one, I won't be including Instagram links in the newsletter anymore. It was pretty universal that people skipped over them. Since they're already following along on Instagram, it was pretty redundant. Um, I'll replace this with the little favorite sections just for swipe, little swipes. Um you guys were split on keeping it monthly versus doing something on a more frequent basis so I think for now I'll keep it monthly um just like your cycle. If you love the audio and some of you didn't even know the audio version existed so what a fun discovery for you. Welcome if this is your first time. And so we'll definitely keep that. Um reading the survey was also the best because some of you are hilarious. I just want to read some of these <laughs> some of these comments. I don't read your long religious essays. Please don't be mad, Jesus. Jesus is not mad at you for that, just so you know. Um, Sometimes I cry when I see how long your newsletter is. Sometimes I cry when I write it, and it's so long. So I get that. Um, You are a bright spot in an inbox that gets crowded with what feels like millions of bath and body emails. I just want to tell this person, unsubscribe, unsubscribe. You don't have to live that life. Um, I would love more book recommendations, but maybe you don't read that much. that's so mean but also true (laughs) um don't listen to anything anyone says in this survey you are the henry ford of newsletters wow that is what what an honor um i would love more riddles i am not gonna put more riddles in the newsletter but i do appreciate this person who is like very specifically please give me more riddles um i usually cringe when people talk about jesus on the internet but i don't with you so good job this is the highest honor i'm gonna frame this um I shouldn't answer this survey because of my period. I wish we would all answer it on our periods so that we would be so much more honest. I love your newsletter, Aaron, but it is a lot to take in at once. The best part of this comment is the use of my name in the middle of it. Like I'm going to I'm you're in trouble. You need Aaron. Wrap it up. Um, but anyway, thank you for taking the time to fill it out and give your feedback. Um, I put the winner of the gift card in the newsletter, so be sure you go check it out. And um, if it's you, Mina Orso, then please uh, email me or DM me and we'll get you your gift card. Okay, so let's jump into this month's questions via Instagram. I follow someone who is blatantly copying another Instagrammer and I know for a fact that she is taking tweets and memes, placing them in her own template and passing them off as her own, even adding her name to the bottom like she came up with them. This person has an audience and is using content created by other people to build her follower count. It infuriates me. Can you please address this? LOL, sorry, this wouldn't fit in the question box. This is from anonymous, asked to be asked to remain anonymous. Uh, Friends, I can't believe this must be said in the year of our Lord 2019, but stop stealing content, tag original sources, stop sneak following other content producers, not telling your people about them and using their idea and acting like you're the genius who came up with it. Stop lifting text from hilarious tweets and putting them into templates like you said it. Stop screenshotting tweets and cropping out the writer of the tweet. Also, look, we're all absorbing content all day, and I'm sure that I've been the villain in someone else's story when I accidentally stole a joke format from someone else and didn't credit them. I actually did this once in a professional sense. I was young. I wrote a script for a video that parroted a lot of the work of a peer I greatly respected. I was young. I was stupid. I didn't have enough original thought on my own, so I figured I could fudge some of her ideas and pass them off as her own. She did the absolute best thing for me. She called me out. I was so embarrassed because she was right. I absolutely did steal it. It helped me to pay attention to everything I did after that. Of course, all of us are products of what we consume. The idea is just to give credit where credit is due. Um, I know sometimes that this is an accident. I do. It's not like we're all so original that our magnificent jokes can't be replicated. But this blatant post-truth mishmash where Rachel Hollis is giving acute text treatment to quotes from the Dalai Lama and slapping her name on them, that's just not okay. Just tag the original creator. Your people will not love you less for pointing them in the direction of other good creators. So I follow an Instagrammer. I'm not going to put her name because for some reason it feels weird, but I mention her often in stories, so you know who it is. And while she is 100 times wittier and smarter than I am, I know we could have some adjacent content. I know the whole reason I found her was because I had a lot of people telling me how amazing she is, and she is. So I know we have some overlapping Venn diagrams. I want to be so careful not to still content from her, or even look like I'm stealing content from her, that I've actually deleted a story because it felt icky, like I lifted her content and made it my own, and it was a total accident. It's also okay to add to conversations while giving the original source a hat tip. Look, guys, let the Holy Spirit guide you, okay? If you think this anonymous question is about you, it might actually be about you. Okay, Ayo Witwit asks, should I ask people before putting their kids on my Insta story, or do people care? Yes. Yes. Ask if it's okay to put someone's kid on your Insta story. Absolutely. It's best to assume people do care and then ask. And then if they don't, it's just not a big deal. So uh, Faith in Taylor says, does your family do Santa at Christmas? As our baby gets older, we are rethinking this. Look, I grew up with Santa in my house, and I have no memory of figuring out the actual deal, but Gwenny used to say, she still says it, if you do not believe, you do not receive, which meant don't squeal to the younger kids. Also, if you make a public profession of not believing in Santa, guess who's not getting presents from Santa? You. And then on the other side of the spectrum, I have a friend who felt so betrayed by their parents when they found out the truth about Santa that they brought it up in therapy, so it's complicated. Um, Holland, my daughter, my oldest daughter, she used to be very anti-Santa to the point where she wrote Santa a letter asking if Rudolph could please be the one to deliver gifts. She hated Santa so much that she would rather have a full-grown, magical flying reindeer in our living room, chewing up cookies, pooping in our fireplace, and whatnot but listen she i i put a picture of her like when she made this request to us um in the newsletter so we just you need to go look at it because this is the reason why we did whatever she wanted she was so cute so th- then a couple of years ago she asked us point blank if santa was real then and i decided before it ever came up that we would tell her the truth and let her in on the game for Marlo and later Cyrus. So we told her, look, okay, Santa is just a fun tradition that we do. It's really mom and dad putting out presents, but now you get to be in on it with us. So we sneak her out of her bedroom after the littles fall asleep and let her help set their Santa spread up. She hypes Santa in December. She gets to secretly whisper thank you to us on Christmas morning, and she is living She's in on the magic and she loves it. And listen, the same rules apply to inner sanctum Santa knowledge as to puberty talks. This is a family conversation. Please do not talk about tampons or Santa's sleigh with your friends. We also want to be careful that Santa isn't bringing our kids some crazy expensive outlandish gift, but Santa doesn't give other kids in a different tax bracket nice gift. Like put some respect on Santa's name and don't make him a butthole. At the Lunar Module, Santa does fun, small things in your stocking, but mom and dad bought the train table. We also don't use Santa or God forbid the elf on the shelf, Jesus be a raindrop, as a behavioral tool because I don't have the energy to change an elf's location every day, nor do I have the strength to create a vignette where the elf has gotten into some sort of mischief that I must then clean up. In the words of Amy Poehler, great for them, not for me. I don't love the Santa storyline that he's watching you and knows when you do bad things and will therefore smite you with a lack of presence. Santa is fake. I get to choose his narrative. For us, he's just a nice casual guy who comes into your house in the middle of the night and eats your cookies and leaves you some things in a sock that you've hung up on your fireplace. It's not a big deal. I know lots of parents do Christmas a lot of different ways. I know some families who don't do Christmas presents at all. It's Jesus's birthday. Bible scholar note, it's not, but whatever. Do you get presents at other people's birthday? Um my precious friend Liza has a happy birthday baby Jesus party every year. It is truly the delight of my soul. We eat cake and we have a huge indoor fake snowball fight. She makes she makes adults sing happy birthday to Jesus. It is the purest thing on this earth. Protect Eliza at all costs. The be- I think the best plan of action is to decide what you want to do before your kid is old enough to verbally process the concept of Santa. If you choose not to do the Santa thing, I think that's cool, but just tell your kids that some families do it and we don't romp on anyone's Christmas, winter, holiday, ding dong. So um, I mentioned that many of you were cooled on repurposing links from Instagram, which is awesome because that was like the second hardest thing to do in the newsletter. So now links for the month will be repurposed into just fun things that I like this month. Um, and I'm going to try to mainly just share this stuff with you guys um, and not some things will, there will be overlapping, but mainly it's just for y'all. Um, so you can get the links for these all in the newsletter, but I'm going to talk to you about them. So uh, I listened to a few podcast episodes that I really liked. Um, 30 to 50 feral hogs from Reply All. Um, This is just an episode with PJ, which, sorry, Alex, I really love an episode with just PJ. Um, And it was a delightfully nuanced look at the really troubling feral hog problem in the U.S. Um, I would definitely check it out. Um, The Bible for Normal People. Will Gaffney um, is one of my favorite theologians, and she absolutely kills this interview, and then my husband and his friend, Nick, started a podcast to chat about movie trailers, video game trailers, and other things trailer adjacent. Now I am sleeping with half of this podcast, but I'm into it. If you like trailers or getting a glimpse of Ben Moon's big, beautiful brain, um, you can check it out, it's called Trailer Blazers. So uh, go check that out. So from the survey, I know that most of you are already subscribed to Knox McCoy's sectional healing newsletter, but if you're not, please go ye there for it and sign up. His take on the whole John Chris thing is solid and well thought out, and I just, I have not stopped thinking about the next few sentences that he wrote. Christian culture and art has been broadly irrelevant because in most circumstances is inherently illegitimate. Why? Because it mostly exists to comment upon slash reinforce itself. And in this way, Christian art is a bit like a fart giving an interview about its own smell. It is redundant and reductive precisely because it is a closed loop of inspiration and execution. The fact that someone can have that smart of a thought and also work in a fart metaphor, it's truly mind blowing. Um, so listen, I ha- there's this candle that I heard uh, Sophie and Melanie talk about on the Big Boo cast. And look, it's like kind of a bougie candle, but it smells like anthropology. You technically don't even have to light it. It just, it smells that good. Um, also, this is my newsletter, so I will tell you that my friend, uh Tara Lee Cobble, she told me that the trick to getting candles to burn evenly is to make sure that the wax melts to the edge of the container every time. No tunneling, no wasted wax. Candle tips, we are truly wildin' out here. I just never knew that before. I feel like I feel like I need to share that, maybe you all knew that. Um, I bought a really cute dress for Colorado, and it had pockets, lots of great colors, um, so I linked that in there. Um, my fake leather jacket, it really enhances my bad attitude, but like in a cool way. And then I bought some new sunglasses as well. Um, also in the link section I have, uh, a lot of you have reached out and wanted suggestions for advent readings. Um, and I linked all of those. Uh, there's a ton of options, um, I and I love all of them. So I hope that's helpful to you. So um, I'm going to jump into the essay today, but I do want to uh, put a quick note here. I, I find that I often don't know what I think until I write it out. Um, that's a hat tip to Flannery O'Connor. And I'm also a very slow processor, and I had no intentions to write about this John B. Chris thing, but here we are. If you are not Christian-adjacent, take heart that I'm going to begin this essay by talking about the whole John B. Chris thing, but it really evolved into a look at power in a broader sense. Just FYI, I didn't want to scare you off at the beginning. Um, So as a person who has spent many hours of her life backstage at Christian events, exactly zero percent of this John B. Chris story surprises me. Power, power, in any form, can be corrosive and toxic to your soul. The systems that kept this particular scandal, which was uncovered at least two years ago, from coming to light are the same systems that enable pastors to abuse and manipulate within the church walls for years. The same systems that allow for abuses of power to flourish in the halls of government and education. I don't really want to spend a lot of time here talking about John, whom I do not know, my sincere hope for them is that he gets real transformative help. As someone who knows addiction, particularly sexual addiction, well, it is a beast in our day and age. This world for someone who has a sex addiction is the equivalent of an alcoholic living in a bar. Although I don't think his addiction absolves him of the way he allegedly used it to manipulate the women around him, I genuinely hope he's getting the help he needs. Um, equally, I hope the women who have been thrust in this slide are being cared for and getting the help that they need. I don't really want to use the self-implosion of another person's life for content, but as I read reactions to this news, I kept thinking about how many times we've repeated this narrative. It's not just about John Crist. It's bigger than that. In the Charisma article outlining the accusations against him, one of the women says that at one point she thought, hey, this is kind of weird, but it's okay. He's a Christian. He won't do anything inappropriate. This is how the system flourishes. This is how the system flourishes. In religion, in government, in schools, these leaders are banking on the fact that because the institution has a reputation of being good, you will not question their motives because they are adjacently good. I'm not blaming this woman. She is not wrong for trusting someone who has publicly confessed to being aligned with Christianity. That makes sense. Power residing in something like the Christian culture is intoxicating. When you're powerful in this arena, you can hide behind the facade of good, behind God. The people who abuse their power within these structures do a great job masking their intentions with one simple tool, trust. I watched The Family on Netflix earlier this year, and I have not stopped thinking about a scene from episode one. If you have Netflix, this scene is about two minutes long, and it starts at about 28 minutes. That one Mitt Romney guy walks into the house, and the conversation centers around all the bad things that King David did, murder, rape, et cetera, but how, quote, God likes this guy. He asks the young men what was different about David. They give a lot of different answers, and then one finally says he was chosen. The older man throws in the football and says, yeah, chosen. Interesting set of rules, isn't it? The thesis shaping this scene is clear. When you're chosen, you can do anything you want, and it's correct and good by virtue of being your own decision, as someone who has God on their side. The chosen get to choose. This is the system that protects abusers, specifically in the church. We trust that because a person has been given power, that because God holds the story ultimately, that they will do the right thing, the godly thing. A chosen leader wouldn't take advantage of a person underneath them in the power dynamic. A chosen leader would never steal or manipulate. And to be fair, some do not. Some men and women use their power for good, but it's the ones who use it for their own gain that I want to talk about. The chosen leaders who either wield your sense of trust as a weapon to get what they want or ostracize you for pushing back. We've all heard the quote from John Dahlberg Acton, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. This isn't a pithy saying. It's from a letter to one of Dahlberg Acton's friends, the Anglican Bishop Mandel Creighton. Reading on in the letter, Dahlberg Acton continues. He says, quote, Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men, even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still more when you super add the tendency or the certainty of corruption by authority. This really speaks to me in several ways. One, because a favorite phrase of Ben Moon's when it comes out that yet another person is garbage, is there are no great men. And two, I think the use of the word influence here is almost prophetic. Today, having power and having influence over someone is almost one in the same. That's where we've conflated celebrity with leadership. That's why we have this particular president, if you want to get down to it. Of course, there are an equal amount of powerful people who use their power for good. The older I get, the more in awe, obviously to my detriment, I am by men and women in positions of power who do not allow it to define them. Power wielded well is the rarest of jewels in this world. I saw a lot of takes lamenting how they, quote, couldn't believe Christ would do something like this it's hard to be wrong. We view the idea of changing our minds or being wrong as a character flaw. See, flip-flopping. It's hard for us to reconcile David as someone who is, quote, a man after God's own heart with the idea that he used his position of ultimate power and influence to rape Bathsheba and murder Uriah. There is nothing more unmooring than being wrong. I remember when I was in college, I was working at a summer camp, and one of the men who came to speak at my camp one week was my own pastor, a powerful, kind man who knew my then boyfriend, now husband's family, well, we're going to call him Tony. When Ben's high school best friend was killed in a car accident, Tony was the one who called Ben, who comforted him. Tony was deeply embedded in my community, and I never heard a word spoken against him. I watched him care for people in a way that almost doesn't exist at a large church anymore. The sheer number of people times hours in the day prevents pastors from actively pastoring a lot of their flock that's not a criticism of them. It's a commendation to Tony. He was honorable in public and he was honorable in private. When he turned his benign, almost grandfatherly attention to you, you felt important. When Tony took me to lunch one afternoon, I thrilled in his deep questions, almost not believing this man of such power and influence wanted to spend time with me, to talk to me about my dating relationship and what I wanted to do with my life and my hopes and dreams. I remember there was a guest book at the restaurant we went to, and he jokingly signed it with my not-yet-name, Aaron Moon. This part of the story ends with him praying for me and dropping me back off at the college dorm where the camp staff was saying, absolutely 0% of our time was shady or weird. Although I look back at that afternoon and almost can't believe it happened. 36-year-old Aaron is like, baby, what were you thinking? But this was pre-me too, pre-church too. There was no expectation, at least for me, for a leader empowered to do anything untoward. It seems crazy now, but it wasn't then. I don't think. Um, but I never felt unsafe. I never felt like something would happen because I trusted Tony so completely. We had history. He was one of the most stand-up men I knew, and he would never take advantage of me. But even the king of the smallest kingdom sits at a crossroads. Tony retired from our church a couple of years later when he developed brain cancer, and we all rallied behind him. Then, several years after our lunch, several years after he'd written Aaron Moon for the first time anyone had ever written it, it all comes out. He's been cheating on his wife with a woman in Texas for over 20 years and used his travels as a preacher and a chaplain to meet with her. I cannot really begin to express my immediate sense of anger How desperately I wanted this to be wrong. How I wanted this woman to be some kind of liar. Because I loved this man. He'd preached some of the best sermons I'd ever heard. I was pastored by Tony. He was so kind. This could not be true because I could not be such a bad judge of character. Because the people who put him into power could not be so enabling. Had Twitter existed as a rage documentation app, I would have become Thor of 140 characters. I would have bet it all on the fact that this was a lie. But then a few days later, there it was, a complete confession from the man himself. The anger was still there, but then I felt betrayed. I felt used. I felt taken advantage of emotionally and spiritually. I felt stupid. As I'm writing this, it's been over 10 years since those sins were brought into the light. I've seen Tony once since then. He did a stint on the Golf Shopping channel, and I threw up immediately after watching it. Since then, it's been like dominoes with all the powerful men around me from that time. Tony is a pastor at a different church now. I have mixed feelings about it, although no one really asked me. Do I think if he truly underwent a transformation of his heart that his story might minister to someone else? I do. Do I think God is only using men and women who are perfect? I don't. But do I also have a bad taste in my mouth when I see him back in the same position that allowed him to manipulate and lie? Yeah, yes, very much so. Does somebody else probably have a bad taste in their mouth when they see me yakking it up about God? Yeah, probably so. We do not like to be wrong about the men and women we throw our support and love behind. It reflects poorly on us as people. So we want to deflect and look for ways to minimize the sin or the misappropriation of power. We dig our heels in. We pretend they didn't leave a wake of destruction behind them or that the wake was just as responsible as they were or we want to move on quickly, throwing out cheap grace that leaves the system that enabled this problem still intact. But the greater problem is not solved in any way. We must kill it at the root. There's a reason the phrase is drunk with power. What power offers is intoxicating, both for the powerful and the people who hold up the powerful. Look, I know it's easy for me to say all of this as I am not powerful, therefore may rail against it, It's also easy for me to talk about this because I have not had a sin revealed so publicly. No one is writing internet articles about me and my pride or my jealousy or my vanity. But rest assured, you totally could. And listen, I don't mean to shame anyone for putting someone up on a pedestal because often we don't realize we've done it. If Lin-Manuel Miranda ever cheats on his wife, I'm done. It's, It's over for me. It wasn't my fault that I connected with my former pastor. It wasn't my fault that I didn't. he didn't live up to the image he portrayed. It's not your fault you found someone funny who turned out to send sexually explicit videos to women without their permission. Bill Cosby was a good TV dad. His entertainment formed the basis of fond memories in my childhood. And you're telling me that while I was dreaming about finding a man like that, he was drugging and raping women? What the actual hell? It's a dissonance that's hard to come to grips with, sliding easily into bitter resentment. I used to want to start a ministry that enabled millennials to unplug the cable boxes that fed cable news into the homes of our parents and grandparents in the hopes that the noxious fumes from these shows would dissipate and kind of allow everyone to think more clearly. In the same way, I often wish for like a palate cleanser to the trappings of power, especially in the church. Why does it take 50 tries for the abuse to be heard? Why do men and women around power protect it? Why gain the world and lose your soul? John Christ wasn't powerful in a way that allowed him to influence denominational bylaws or pass a meaningful legislation. No one, hopefully, was going to Christ for spiritual guidance based solely on his comedy routine. But he wielded influence, and with influence today comes power. The question of what will you do with it is important, but just as important is how will you wield it? I think a lot about that John MacArthur clip where he drags Sister Beth and how he claims that feminism is not about equality, it's about power. He says, these women want power. The fear in his voice struck me. What would it be like to be powerful due to a glitch in the matrix being born white and male and then feel equality looming like a darkness? That would feel like a loss. What's that phrase when you're accustomed to privilege, equality looks like oppression? That someone who believes in Jesus and what he said would cling to power is truly wild to me. My pretend friend on the internet, Caitlin Scheiss, tweeted the other day, taking power away from those that abuse it is not merely punishment, but a mercy. That's something we often miss in conversations about restoring leaders. It's not that they, quote, don't deserve it, but taking taking away something that is corrupting the soul is a merciful thing to do. We either believe Jesus or not. We either use the institution of the church or the school or the government as our own personal power source, or we ask Jesus to rip us away from this false source of power and save our souls. The temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4 should give us all pause. How Satan offered him all these things, the love of the crowd, leadership as the political Messiah, to walk through the halls of power as the decision maker. George Barrett calls this the quote, old but ever new temptation to do evil that good may come to justify the illegitimacy of the means by the greatness of the end and that the next chapter in Matthew is the sermon on the mount which begins with a blessing for those who are powerless blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's why I think it's so troubling that we have a Christian culture built on power and influence, power that allows for a lack of accountability, power that uses trust as a weapon. Jesus preached against it. The Beatitudes are a blessing. Does that mean the opposite is a curse? Was Jesus not coming for men in religious power who abused it? Why do we want to play that role in our modern lives? Those are the places he is directing his wrath. I don't know, guys. I've tried to land this plane for hours now. I've literally just been looking at this essay. But I keep coming back to these questions. How do we actually wield power and influence? Who does it well? Why is it so hard to be a person of power and influence and remain untouched by it in your soul? I know that's not a satisfying mic drop ending, but I'm not sure the answer can really be reduced to a mic drop. Okay, little swipes. Ah. <laughs> that's, a tough, that's a tough transition to come out of, but um, that's a wrap on this month's audio version of the Swipe Up. Don't forget there is a ton that doesn't make it into the audio version, so be sure to read the rest of the newsletter for uh, my monthly Twitter Hall of Fame and pictures and videos, all that jazz. Also, just remember that you can get my newest resource, The Comfortable Words, at erinhmoon.com slash store, and little Swipes always get 20% off with code SWIPEUP. Thanks for swiping up, and I'll see you next time.